You're listening to And what is poppin', everybody? You're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 166. My name is Marvin Yuan. Join me, as always, to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have the once and future professional Asian-American Jess Jew. Hey, Marvin. What up, Jess? That's good. I think, you know, every day I move further, further away from that role, and it brings me so much joy. <laughs> you said that a few months ago. And then you came I know. Back, so, you it know. ebbs and flows. But like recently on TikTok, there has been a discourse about how terrible all Asian friend groups are. And I'm like, I think you just don't have the right yeah. friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of see that, though. There is a certain. Oh, yeah. Vibe, we all know terrible. We, yeah. we know terrible, toxic groups of friends. But like, you know, for for us growing up where we did, Marvin, it's that's kind of the default. Right. Right. But I've also been blessed to not have like my group of friends growing up weren't the I wasn't friends with the overachievers or at least they weren't like my my only friends. Right. Like you kind of get if you're on honors track and you were in high school, you kind of take the class with the same people and they become kind yes. of a close group. Yes. But also I also had groups outside of that, like my band friends who weren't part of that world. So I kind of had a good balance of like overachiever friends and like just chill friends. Same. But I think like in the work that we do, most of our colleagues and friends are like Asian. And I'm like, you yeah. know, there are obviously are toxic ones. I'm like, I don't fuck with the toxic ones. <laughs> um, yeah. I think you just need to get better friends. Yeah. Just like <laughs> a very fun. good friend and most professional culture editor, Han Wayne. Hey. hey <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I kind of understand what they are talking about. But yes, you can at this point be an adult and curate your friends. So you can still yes. have good Asian friends. You yeah. can have good Asian friends. And they're Asians of all sorts. So, you know, yes, we Asians are not a monolith. Are not of- a monolith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can have good Asian friends and bad Asian friends. And bad Asian friends. And, oh my God. Know- it's like we're people. What? <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah. No. All right, we're recording this on Friday of this week because I just came back from Denver and um, was... How was that? It was good. I went for a podcast conference. Um, this conference is really interesting because the vibes are usually a little inconsistent, right? It's, it's the biggest conference for the podcast industry, but the audience is a mishmash. You have everyone ranging from professional industry people to like people who want to start a podcast to people just who just want to be around podcasters so it's kind of like you know oh. there's an identity issue of whether it wants to be a fan event or like an industry event kind of similar to like um like a vidcon or like a uh, a comic-con really comic-con kind of had like an identity issue for the last few years too but yeah thanks to that um i've uprooted everyone's schedules and forced everyone to record on a friday when we're all busy trying to catch with work i apologize to my co-hosts but thank you for bearing with me um <laughs> But yeah, we are here this week to talk about the new Netflix animated movie, The Monkey King, um, about the story of the infamous Monkey King from Chinese folklore, starring Jimmy O. Yang and Bo and Yang. Um, But before we get to that, um, let's find out what pop culture is picking us through this week. Uh, Jess, what is poppin'? So I've started. Um, it's it's in the mid run. I think it's towards the latter half of the season already. But what we do in the shadows, season five is back. Um, it's they're back in Staten Island, which in the last season or so kind of saw the scope get a little bigger. They're talking about like international vampire council council before whatever reason, you know, they're all back. Colin Robertson is no longer a weird fetus baby. 
Um, so that's really great. That was a weird yeah. turn. Um, yeah, so to, to be told, I didn't enjoy season four that much because there was just so like out there in those terms. Like mm-hmm. I did not enjoy CGI baby. Um, but season five seems to be getting back to its roots. You know, we're grounded. We're getting some of the old characters like Sean, their their dumb neighbor who like mm-hmm. doesn't know their 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 vampires. Um, and the biggest kind of overarching storyline of this season, I guess, is that Guillermo, and this is in the first episode, so I don't feel bad, you know, talking yeah. about it, but Guillermo basically gets turned into a vampire by someone else, not Nandor, for, you know, in a very <laughs> funny but kind of sad situation, an awkwardly violent situation. So they're dealing kind of with the consequences of that. Um, you know, you're getting some really good Laszlo and... Uh, Nadja mm-hmm. moments. You're getting really good uh, Nandor at the gym moments. Uh, you're getting there's a Colin Robinson is running for political office. Yes, it's as great as it sounds. <laughs> so it's kind of getting back to it's just forms where everyone's doing their like very mundane shenanigans. I've been enjoying it again. Love the Hulu FX weekly release schedule. Very manageable for my life. Cannot binge at all. And it's really fun also to see like. I feel like all the stars have gotten bigger. So like I see, I hear and or see like Harvey Gillian who plays Guillermo and um, uh, Nadja, Natalie Dimitri, Dimitri. Dimitri. Uh, like I, I kind of see them popping up in other things. So it's fun mm-hmm. kind of just to see them back. And like, I feel like the internet since like the last season or two, like Matt Berry has become an internet sensation. Mm-hmm. At least in my part of the TikTok hole, like bitches love Laszlo mm. and Matt Berry and the way he says things because like Matt Berry yeah. is kind of known as the is is the example uh women use as like this is who we find attractive in the female gaze. It's like him and Jack Black. Yeah. And we're like we like them. Um and it's it's great, you know, he talks about vulvas again. It's it's back to form. We love it. <laughs> yeah. Matt Berry has a distinct way of speaking. So he I just makes the I don't know if it's him or him as an actor, but he does talk like that in real life. I know. That's why I'm saying he has a distinct way of speaking. Yeah. Because he when he was on the IT crowd. Um, that's when I first saw him. And um, I was like, oh, and he's fun. I like him a lot. Uh, yeah. he's, on, he's on a Roku series, I believe. Also, I haven't checked it out yet. It's just and and I'm sure, you know, some of it is exaggerated when he acts, but like just his choices of what he chooses to emphasize in a sentence or which syllable yes. he chooses to emphasize as a word is so random. It's delightful. <laughs> so, again, just in time, you know, it is now officially enough. Well, I say officially fall because PSLs are back. Pumpkin yes. spice lattes are back. PSL season is back um, because Number one, we are a capitalist society. We're going to let Starbucks dictate the weather, the, the seasons. But and two, it's still um, summer, guys. It's, there, it's no, this is fall because there's no more seasons. I mean, there has never really been seasons in LA, but, you know, especially now, like, this is fall because Starbucks has dictated it is fall. Speaking of um, seasons, how did you two fare during um, not Hurricane Hillary? <laughs> Oh, it was oh. so it was lovely. Um, yeah. you know, less rain than we got when we. I, the, I was tracking the hurricane because on Google Maps, you know, you know, they give you like the path of the hurricane's eye, and they give you like a red zone of like this is like technically the like path of like the hurricane, like where the hurricane's going to cover. So the initial prediction said that it was literally that that barrier between where it was going to be red slash hurricaney 
and where it was not was literally cutting through my street and my condo <laughs> complex, like literally a block away. And I'm like, okay, we'll see where we land on that. And I think over the course, it shifted east and went up through more through Nevada and like San Bernardino. And like, honestly, I feel like the atmospheric river we got a few months ago was worse. Yeah, My roof held up. It was fine. <laughs> I was, I can't tell you how many people I, ta- I met this weekend, uh, this week at the conference, expressed genuine concern when I told them I'm from LA saying, oh, how was the hurricane? It looked really bad. And you got an earthquake too? That must have been terrible. I'm like, mm, mm, we're so unserious. I barely felt the, the earthquake. My, my wife felt it, but she was lying in bed. So like, you know, the bed kind of amplifies the shaking effect. But I was walking around. I didn't feel anything. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's I think it's something where it's like, the earthquake wasn't of the level that we needed to be concerned. So that's why we're kind of blase about it in LA. Um, and of, of course, you know, like I came from Houston where we had lots of hurricanes and this, I honestly did assume that it was going to be, you know, that it was going to be downgraded to a tropical storm. But even then I was still underwhelmed because I was actually expecting some winds and there's, it was like dead. So it was just rainy. That's kind of it. Um, I mean, it, Look, LA also doesn't have the infrastructure to deal with flooding, so that's not a joke. But other than just not driving anywhere, uh, it was fine. No power outages. That was the one thing I was a little bit afraid of. But um, yeah, so it was fine. It was very soothing. You know, good good rain, uh, white noise. The memes were really good. The memes were really good on the yeah. internet that yeah, day. So being, being on the internet was fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Well, I got to check out what to do in the shadows. I I stopped watching after season two, so I have a lot to catch up with. But um, yeah, looking forward to the baby thing you're talking about. Oh I my god, no, it it's weird. Season four was weird, and I'm up. Like, here's my hot take: I don't enjoy Kristen Shaw's characters. Mm. Um, I don't blame her, but I think she is just her. Her character work mm. is like pigeonholed into these like annoying characters. I don't like her on this show. I do like her in general. So, um, like, I like, well, also, doesn't isn't she the voice of one of my favorite characters on Bob's Burgers? Um, yes. But, yeah. But so, and, you know, I think she's very smart, funny actor. But, yeah, yeah I agree. On this show, I don't like her she, weird character. Just Yeah, just, her, and she was not anything. great. Her character was really annoying on 30 Rock, too. So, it was kind of like, oh, like, this is two in a row where her live action, like, stuff. Like, I, I, I think it's more just the way she's cast within her, like, acting persona rather than like her as an actor uh, but i'm just like i don't need kristen shaw like i, I or her that specific character in the vampiric council um you know so you know we're getting less of that and again we're just getting we're just being a bunch of buddies in staten island like i think that's where <laughs> the show is the strongest and then you know hopefully we'll have some more fun <clears throat> cameos this season yeah all right Han, what's popping with you? Uh, so I just started this, and I'm still waiting to see where it goes. But I like the premise. So uh, it is a K-drama surprise called Behind Your Touch. And yes, there is a pun, Behind Your Touch, because this is about a veterinarian who has psychometric powers. So <laughs> she can tell what uh, what is wrong with her client, her furry client, um, when she touches their butt. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I'm kind of hoping it wasn't going to get be there but it it is so is the twist that she can tell any animals so problems? so of course we wonder does this mean that she can tell when it comes to humans um that is 
the fact that she is pairing up with a hot-blooded detective uh, may answer your question. Uh, the the actor who plays the uh, police detective is one of my favorites, Lee Minky. He was in um, Because This Is My First Life. Um, so I enjoy him a lot. He, he usually plays kind of stern characters. Um, so for him to, yes, get his butt grabbed is, you know, uh, it's just such a weird premise. And I, the thing that I've noticed about K-dramas is no matter how odd things are at the beginning, somehow they transform it into a very touching story. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm just curious to see if they will do that. Already in the first episode, they have this really weird moment when um, uh, related to her aunt where there's a there's a flashback. And, you know, you know, K-dramas, they basically when they play younger and they just throw a wig on them. Um, is very weird. So her aunt is playing herself at 21 and I'm just like, why does she have this really obvious wig on? And then I realized the whole sequence was like a reference to another favorite K-drama of mine called 2521. Um, so they even call back to the fencing. They use the music in, in that little sequence and something else. And so I'm just like, okay, I get the reference, but why? Um, so there's a lot of unanswered questions so far for me. I'm just along for the ride. Um, <laughs> it's a good sort of like relaxing thing when I um, when I'm watching Uncanny Encounter and I'm like, okay, enough of like busting demons. Um, I kind of want something a little gentler. And this is like a small town. Uh, there is a third person, most likely for a love triangle, um, played by Suo, and he is um, a boy band member from EXO, or you know, um, and he's turned into an actor. So um, yeah, they they can't resist a love triangle, of course. But um, what's <laughs> nice is that you know he is younger than her, and the, they do that quite a bit in K dramas, which is having the older woman. So yeah. we'll see where it goes. We we get to see a lot of animals. That's also what I'm. Oh, that's I'm, cute. Yes, I'm excited I hope it's about cute. that. Oh my god, the first episode alone made me cry because this old man brought in his old dog. He's like, "Why is the old dog no. not not eating?" And then you f- see it from the dog's point of view, and the reason is like so over the top uh human relatable that i was just like sobbing <laughs> no like, it's, it, i feel it's, for animals so much more yeah yeah so point. that's kind of why i'm watching this like i know at some point the cop's gonna bring in a kitten because that was in the trailer so i was like i'm down for that yeah anyway so that's for me uh what's popping with you marvin yeah so um like i mentioned this week i was at a conference, so I didn't really have time to um, watch a lot of things. But I have been, um, as we know, catching up on my anime backlog. And the most recent show I'm starting to watch is called Summertime Rendering. It is a show from 2022 um, that was licensed by Disney for um, streaming to um, for streaming on their Disney Plus platforms, which is wild because this show is not meant for young audiences <laughs> at all. Um, <laughs> But because of that, it's it got caught in what we call um, streaming jail, um, like Netflix jail and Disney jail, where um, companies license anime for streaming. Um, it's up to them when they want to distribute it. And most streaming companies focus on anime like um, High Dive or Crunchyroll, um, elect to do simulcasts. So the same day that a show p- premieres in Japan, um, it premieres on mm. the service like a few hours later uh, with the subs. Companies like Disney and Netflix tend to hold on to their shows for weeks or even months. Um, I think Netflix recently started doing simulcasts, which is great for their shows this season. But Disney held on to this show um, for almost a year. 
it just recently was released for streaming in the U.S., but not on Disney+. Plus. Um, they decided to go with Hulu, which makes more sense for the show because of the more mature content involved. Um, but so before this, the only way to watch the show was um, pirating. And I'm too old to figure out how to pirate anime. So I, I uh-huh. just waited for it to come out. <laughs> yes, I understand. Yep. <laughs> I'm right there with you. You don't have a little sixth grade boyfriend who's just going to burn you disc and give them to you at right. recess. So We, we yeah. also have so many streaming options these days. We don't have to wait around for one pirated thing. We can just watch other stuff. Yeah. And like, you know, it's, I haven't torn in anything in like decades. So I'm not, not ready to invite that chaos onto my computer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. At this point, um, so the basic premise is um, the main character returns to his remote island hometown to attend the funeral of his best friend slash foster sister. Um, but things seem a little off, and the details behind her death are really suspicious um, because even though officially she died because she drowned while saving a little girl who was swimming, um, there seems to be evidence that she was actually strangled to death. Um, And so while investigating with his friend's little sister, they run into a doppelganger who shoots them both dead. What? Doppelganger of who? Of of the little sister. Okay. What? Yeah. That's creepy as fuck. And right when he gets shot, he wakes up a day before. And he learns that he can reset the day by dying. And so he sets out to... Knowing this, using this information to investigate the what's going on in this island, and so it's a supernatural time loop mystery along the lines of like Russian Doll or Edge of Tomorrow, and the doppelgangers mm-hmm. he learns are a part of a local legend called Shadows. Because if you know Japanese science fiction fantasy writers, they love Carl Jung and Jungian psychology, you know the the, the persona and the shadow. And if you if you watch any other like, psychological anime, it's like all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a very compelling show. Um, I really like it. The animation's great. Um, there is some like anime bullshit um, that does, because the, it does take place in on the islands during summer. So there's a lot of like butts and boobs that you know may not have <laughs> any narrative reason to be shown. Um, but there's also like some plot relevant shenanigans. Like on one of the main characters, you can tell if they're the real or shadow self because of the pattern underwear they wear. So it's That's like weird. sometimes it's kind of bullshit, but it's not okay. super. It's not super gratuitous. Um, it's just you know, I think I want to say it's them leaning into the trope and like subverting it. But um, it's great. There's 24 episodes um, streaming on Hulu, which means if you have the basic tier, you ha- will have to put up with the commercials, which aren't too bad. So yeah, um, the good thing is the story is finished. So this series does adapt the entire story so you don't have to like wait for the next season or anything uh so yeah it's called summertime rendering um it's streaming now on hulu and i'm digging it um i'm halfway through the season so they're starting to like peel away because like the first few episodes all about the characters trying to figure things out like wait why am i going back in time there's something wrong going here and then so now we're getting to the part where they kind of have a better idea of what's going on and the real like detective work starts so i'm super excited to keep watching and um Based on what people have said, it's it holds up. So I'm really excited to get into like the rest of the, the series. Um, I I think doppelgangers in general just scare the fuck out of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so creepy. So well done, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I'll check it out though, just because of that. <laughs> definitely some like body snatcher vibes. Like think of it as like the invasion of body snatchers meets Edge of Tomorrow or Russian Doll. Just in time for spoopy season. Well. That'll do it for what's poppin' for this week. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're talking about the new Netflix animated film, The Monkey King. Stick around. 
and I co-host the podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like, a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week, we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone, especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, We've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. For this episode, we are discussing The Monkey King, the new animated fantasy action comedy film um, inspired by the classic Chinese legend um, Journey to the West, directed by Anthony Stacci and featuring a star-studded cast including Jimmy O. Yang, Bowen Yang, and Stephanie Su. The film follows the early years of the Monkey King as he travels the land, vanquishing demons, pursuing immortality, all on his quest to um, enter the heavens and become a god. Along the way, he picks up a help in the form of a village girl named Lin, as well as run afoul of the king of the oceans, um, the Dragon King, who has designs of his own. So as someone of Chinese descent, I'm familiar with the Monkey King or Sun Wukong as like a very famous um, folk tale and legend. Uh, it's been adapted many, many times. But I have to say, I'm not entirely familiar with the Journey to the West legend itself. Like I know some high level things that happen. I know the characters, you know, Zhu Bajian, Tang San Zhang. And I've seen some of the adaptations, specifically like some of the parody adaptations. But if you ask me what happens in Journey to the West, like I, I'm not sure if I really can tell you. Same. I, I feel like it's just so like present, um, like in Chinese culture, especially like no one ever sits you down and actually tells you the story or like maybe like that's a uniquely like immigrant experience because your parents are too busy working. But you are like imbued with a lot of like content from this character that you may understand maybe like 20 to 30% of, of. Yeah. So I, I have a similar experience where like, oh, these stories and these characters all sound familiar, but I don't think I actually know the story because every version I've watched has been in Mandarin Chinese mm. or like a parody or like filtered through like yeah. a different lens. Like we all know Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball originally was also a, a adaptation of yes, Truth the West Kong. before it yes. turned to Dragon Ball Z and became a battle anime. Right. Yes. And yes. it's funny because um, so there was a I think it was either 80s or 70s C drama about Journey to the West that was adapted to American TV. It played like mm-hmm. in the afternoons in like the late 80s, I want to say, called Monkey. And so I want to say most like people who grew up watching that show probably know more about the Journey to the West, um, more details about Journey to the West than, than I do. 
Um, although they know the characters as different names, right? I think um, the monkey is Tripitaka, Tsubajin is known as Pigsy. Um, mm. But those names are now like ubiquitous in like the Western world. Um, Han, what did you think about uh, the Monkey King? Um, it was it was pretty decent, good action. Um, it's okay. So Monkey King legend is something that, uh, as a Vietnamese person. Definitely didn't really know. I kind of only heard it in the periphery. Um, weirdly enough, I did write a review of a version of <laughs> Monkey King when I was at IndieWire. So it was the New Legends of Monkey. Is that the Australian um, one or the New Zealand one? I think so. Yeah. And they uh, they gender flipped a couple characters, I think. Um, so, you know, it was just... But it, it was all right, too. It was kind of like, do I need to... Am I missing that piece here? Like, should... If I had the affection for Monkey, that original series, would I care more? Um, so it it is a typical like. I I I also wasn't sure what part of Monkey King we were getting because you know it is a journey tale, right? And so I didn't know. Like apparently here we are getting more origins. Yeah, we're um, getting everything up to the journey. Yeah, and so I kind of expected a journey. And then I was like, oh, I guess it's not. And so I was like, well, that's fine. Um, because also the journey might have introduced like more characters than I knew <laughs> if could keep track of. Yeah, so, because yeah. the story we got is the origin of the Monkey King, which definitely not the most famous part of the journey to the West. Like people, when people think of the Monkey King, they think of like this adventure across like China. And, you know, it's interesting that you say you don't have much affection to it because you know, this is essentially like the Chinese version of the Odyssey, right? But everyone knows the Odyssey because we all learned that in school because we had to read mm-hmm. it for um, Greek mythology, right? Yeah. Or like yeah. you get the enough beats of the Odyssey. Um, it's I just feel like the Monkey King is so like, like it is the text that like bitches want to adapt. It has been adapted so many times. And I feel like none of them have hit at that. Like none of the truer adaptations of the actual story have actually infiltrated like Western American mainstream society. Like I think if I went up to a random child and I'm like, do you know who the monkey king is? Oh, I don't know if they would know, um, you know, if they didn't have that cultural upbringing. So I'm just wondering like, but it is like number two movie on Netflix right now. Yeah. Like, is this the one that's going to break through? I mean, that being said, right, like, this was, at least for me, a pretty solid Netflix animation, which, you know, I have not been hot on. Like, most of the Netflix animated films that I've seen, I've been kind of lukewarm on. Like, they're fine. I think this was the first one I feel like, I don't know. I I, personally, I dug it. I thought, you know, the, the animation looked like a Netflix animation. But the voice acting was really solid, I thought. Like, Jimmy O. Yang and Bo and Yang are really good voice actors. Like, you know how like we were talking about how sometimes it just sucks when you hire someone famous and then just they just play themselves. I feel like both Jimmy and Bowen imbued like they were playing characters like they were imbuing the mm-hmm. characters with their voice. It wasn't like the Monkey King as Jimmy O. Yang. It was Jimmy O. Yang as the Monkey King. Yeah. And I think this comes helps when they are comedians. Um, I There's something that I feel like comedians are really good actors. Um, they also are really good writers they have great timing. Um, the only thing they maybe can't do is maybe sing and dance. That's not, you know, <laughs> but but yeah, they're good performers because they are working towards an audience, kind of like how theater is. They like 
feed off of that. But yeah, timing is essential. And they change their voices all the time in order to land different types of jokes. They usually play different characters in their stand-up gigs. So yeah, I I, I was pleasantly surprised that they did a good job um, because I also just, it's not even just that they play themselves, but it's also sometimes they don't bring even their own voice is not distinct enough. Kind of like, why would I have Angelina Jolie be, you know, an animal in a movie? She doesn't sound like anything. <laughs> so if she put on a voice, that would be something, but she doesn't. And so, yeah, you're right. Like, they actually brought performance. Um, it wasn't, that's kind of, I think, what made it enjoyable. Honestly, it was just a lot of action and it was, you know, that's good for the kiddos, but like, I was just kind of listening to it. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I still don't know if I'm in on Netflix animation. It's, I just find this style so ugly. Like I don't mm-hmm. enjoy watching this CGI style. It looks to me very generic. Like, like it looks like a, well, I imagine like a corporate, like, cgi-esque thing um and then it sucks because there were some sequences that were like really beautifully animated Mm -hmm. in this that i was like oh i wish the movie had just been like that style um you know it's it just gives me an ick like it i find it worse than like the dreamworks style and it's not it's not surprising because the netflix pearl studio started off as oriental dreamworks official name Mm -hmm. i'm not being racist (laughs) um so you know i think it's a carryover from just that like default company look i i I mean and and i just find some of the like renderings of how they rendered this world so like lifeless like yeah it's and i felt that way about like over the moon too like the like everything is just like these like geometric nondescript colorful shapes you know like the background you know like and i feel like that's just the cheapest thing to animate yeah it definitely like it has that like workman feel that like chinese film animation has like have you ever seen any of like the animation coming from china it's like it has similar vibes which is like or it's good have you ever seen like the knockoffs you know when yeah. they do, when like Little Mermaid comes out and and it's like or any like big properties <laughs> coming out and then like you know there's like a B C D list like animation studio who's gonna make the jank ripoff because it's common property and hope there's like enough confusion that someone watches like the mermaid the yeah. small mermaid like yeah. that's kind of what some of the style feels like and again like we get some sequences that are really um really cool like that music that the one of the songs is the metal songs is set to like this like brushstroke, very dynamic. I mean, things we've been seeing like, you know, post Spider-Man, uh, yeah. these like very intentional graphic choices. And I agree. I wish the film was just that, right? That yeah, been that was so cool. Film, but that probably <laughs> yeah. would have cost a lot more money too. This is- I know, but like, I just find the CGI style so, I find the characters ugly. I think the humans are rendered hideously. Like there's no soul to the characters What as I watch them. And and I I'm a little bit still out on like the Lynn proxy, um and and you know Lynn is kind of our human proxy, kind of supposed to be relatable. And I was just like, I don't know, I don't know if it worked for me as much as it did for you because I felt like yeah, like like the Monkey King was fun. I thought Bowen as Dragon King was so fun. Yeah. He made them this like little posh. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, gay. I mean, we could talk about that's that might be problematic in the long run, but, but like, like played by Bo and Yang, though. Like, I think yeah. as a Bo and Yang character, I think it worked. Uh, but I think, yeah. I mean, they definitely needed a straight man, right? Not straight man as in straight man, but like you know, yes. a straight man in comparison to Jimmy Yang, the gods Bo and, Yang's, and the like, immortals, characters. and 
Yeah. Um, and I just don't know if I like Lynn is kind of, I don't know. She, she's kind of given purpose, but not really character. Um, I, you know, I'm sure I've, I'm not familiar with Julia Rappaport's other work, but like I, I think she's a little underwritten. Um, and it's also like maybe I'm just like in this weird feminist kick post Barbie movie, but I'm also like, oh, like I understand you want to make me bring some gender parody to make it a girl, but it's also like she's doing a lot to like <laughs> to manage this very annoying monkey man. Well, it was it was. Sorry, so many things. Um, yes, I did want to, first of all, call out that ending credit sequence because it was gorgeous. And I was just kind of, and I finally woke up then and also with the metal song. But yeah, Lynn was all right. Like I at first I was like, it's like she was written by men because there was also just nothing in there. I see that there is one woman who is part of the screenplay, but also who knows when she came in. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is, you know, directed by a white dude. Um, so written by two white dudes and Rita yeah. Shaw, who does have like her credits. She wrote Mulan, she co wrote Mulan. Yeah. Also with it, two white dudes. Yeah. But, you know, but it's, I didn't see the point of her. And honestly, yeah. I, if they made her a boy, they might have done more with him. I, I hate to say that because they might have understood better what you can do. But yeah, it, it, I was waiting for her personality to come out. So the only thing I've ever seen her in, um, is, uh, she played a, young mysterious character on Watchmen. Um, so it was opposite. Uh, oh, Hong Chao? Yes, Hong Chao. And uh, I'm not going to give it away in case someone hasn't watched that. But so she is, you know, part Vietnamese. Um, but, you know, she was all right. I think the voice acting was fine. I just think that it was the character. She wasn't given a lot to Right, do. right, right. She was solid. Compared to kind of the other, like, you know, bombastic yeah. kind of big characters right and that might not have been her role they i think they did write her to be sort of the straight person because of the two very colorful (laughs) characters around her but at the same time i think they still could have maybe written more heart into her or something um yeah yeah Yeah, but that would require i think a more (laughs) um let's say diverse team behind the scenes and you know this film was executive produced by stephen Shaw, which you know we mean that doesn't mean anything he's just attaching his name onto like this property that he loves because Stephen Chow loves the Monkey King. Stephen Chow loves martial arts. Like he's actually been in several Monkey King related um, projects. Like he directed a trilogy in the 2010s and he was actually in like a, it's not really an adaptation, more like a sequel or like a side story um, called A Chinese Odyssey that was produced in 1995. And that was, I remember watching that and that was my first experience with Stephen Chow as an action person. Um, But I do wish like, you know, it's always I know we shouldn't put too much stock in like Hong Kong people coming in and like executive producing things because they don't care about the same things that we do. But it would have been nice if he would have like told people, if you want my name on this, you need to have Chinese people writing behind the scenes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is interesting because I do think this this movie does do some really interesting stuff that is atypical for Western movies directed towards kids. Um, but I think it is mixing that with trying to land the plane in a more like stereotypical way, which is where I think like, I think the Lin character is like really representing that versus like the monkey King and, uh, monkeys like he's kind of a dick, you know, he's like a very atypical hero. 
And so it's like, I think the movie kind of becomes split down the middle of like, who is this movie about? Because I don't think, it feels like this movie wasn't confident or wasn't comfortable letting him be just the main character and letting his comeuppance happen to him, right? Which is like very Asian. Like this is also (laughs) a religious text. Like we have to understand this is like a Buddhist religious text. It's an allegory for like Buddhism and its values. And like, so he's kind of a little shithead. And, and, you know, the movie, you know, like, yeah, it, the, I don't the, know if this is a spoiler because, like, well, again, well, this is the origin story of the Monkey King. <laughs> I mean, the movie follows the Monkey King's rebellion against heaven. Right. That's kind mm-hmm. of his origin story. Like, do you, In the beginning of Journey to the West, the, the monk, um, Tang Sang Zhang, finds the Monkey King in his prison. And like the Guanyin who saw, like, releases the Monkey King into the monk's custody to guide him on the journey. But the reason the Monkey King was in prison was because he tried to invade heaven. Like, he yeah, tried to, like... Yeah, so... And it's just so wild, because essentially it's just, like, you know, especially, like, the context of today, we're like, okay, so, like, the Monkey King could be called an insurrectionist. <laughs> um, but he's the hero of our movie. But, like, you know, the lesson in him is, like, you eventually, like, he has to repent, right? So... It is weird to make that the. It is kind of weird and atypical to make that character the main character, and for the movie to like make the choices it did, especially where he ends up. I think that is why they chose to put in like this Lin character, which is like, oh, I think it would have actually been a lot more interesting just to see this like true parable of like, like, you know, he's not necessarily like a straightly like good character. He he's. I mean, they try to kind of humanize him or, you know, give him empathy with like, you know, his sense of belonging and how he doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere. And but like, I I just don't know if those were successfully executed as well, because I don't think we were given the time to get to know him in the beginning before he starts doing some wild shit. Yeah. And like the thing with like, I do love that the climax of this film isn't like the big battle with like the antagonist, but like not to spoil, but like the climax of this film is probably the one part of the monkey king legend that i do know it's like i'm very familiar with like that part of his origin story because that's yes. part of the most famous like that's the part that gets portrayed the most in any adaptation is how he ends up losing his war is his rebellion yes um and i feel like that would have been like pretty ballsy to like let it stand on its own um and yeah, I think they're trying to, you know, a lot of these movies, a lot of these animated movies, they're trying to, you know, animated movies are really expensive. And a lot of the movie studios in general are always trying to bridge like Eastern and Western storytelling because China's the biggest market. Um, like, um, yeah. so it's it's still, I feel like this movie's still kind of in the growing pains of trying to appease all stakeholders. Um, and I don't know if it was, you know, coming from, someone who's seen a lot of those attempts i'm just like i don't know if it's quite there yet i guess but with that said i also did enjoy that they did dive deep into like portraying the underworld as like this like big dmv where you have to queue to like get your assignment in hell it's very like china like the chinese underworld is just a big bureaucracy oh we love bureaucracy <laughs> we love bureaucracy like like china meritocracy baby you take that test to go find your place in the government we fucking <laughs> love that shit that's like our that's our like culture three thousand years um which i think is accurate I, I do think they were really successful in some jokes too like i i i was oddly attached to sticky I thought Sticky was really fun. Just like no words, but like lots of emotions with the glowy and the movement. That was really fun. And I love Bre- his henchmen. Breakout, breakout uh, characters definitely stick. 
you know, yeah. stick, um, right? Stick so many voice. emotions. The voice was great. Um, I was sad that they never mentioned it as like the Ruijin Jubong. Like, the stick has a name. <laughs> like, please no, respect the stick. No, he's just stick. He's just a stick. Um, the henchmen were great. I did not realize that was Joe Koi and Ron Yuan. Like, again, like these are actors yeah. who like yeah. could have just played themselves, but like were playing, like really getting into playing the, like they're, they're, they're fine. I, I found the whole like, um, I found the whole orchid bit really funny um like they're they're dressed up as bees and they're like Mm -hmm. oh the tree that glows and like no but and and their weird little song that they break up into i think that was really really fun um i kind of wish the movie was like would just lean into that weirdness a little bit more because i thought that was just so funny yeah, they were they were hilarious they were they stole the show for me i feel like the main plot was maybe just so huge in scope and heavy, kind of like what it was representing that I, I think that they, besides needing this level levity, I think they could have in, infused it with, you know, throughout even more um, than just kind of giving it to the sidekicks. So, um, yeah, because I, the other thing is, I think that's where we felt the most personality when it came to uniqueness. Um, so, yeah, yes. I like this. I like the side henchmen, too. But they're hideous. Like they're hideous to look at. Like yeah, is, the design like, is not terrible. Great. I did not enjoy the design. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think this is part of like it being a film and needing to like squeeze a lot into very little. I didn't get a good, good sense of the world building as much. Like like we did get that one Chinese village, which did mm-hmm. contain one of my favorite Easter eggs, which is the the madam from Kung Fu Hustle, uh, played by Stephanie Su. Yes. Um, but I don't know. The, the world did seem a little, eh. a little flat, right? It was just a little yeah. underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. For like an epic I mean, Chinese like story. Tale. Yeah. Yes, yes. I agree with you. And again, I think you know the core of this, the emotional core of the story, is has to be between Monkey King and Lin. And if some of those components aren't as strong as some of like this fun side stuff, I I think you may not necessarily land the like the heart feeling of the movie. Yeah. I feel like for the most part, I have a pretty like more positive feeling about this film than the two of you. But the one part that I did get like weird vibes on was the portrayal of Buddha in this Uh, film. Okay. Yes. Can we talk about that? It is so weird how media chooses to handle portraying deities of other non-Western religions. Yeah. Like Buddha is not, it's not a god. Mm-hmm. Like it's not. Well, meant he to be can like- be. He can be because there's two kind of like major threads of Buddhism. But it's like, it was weird, right? But like he's not like a like I don't know. At least to me, I don't think he's supposed to be like an authoritative figure like the Western god is, right? Like I, mean, I think he's definitely not like a blank statue that like glows and doesn't move. <laughs> like that is weird. That's like if you gave. That's like if you took like the Jesus cross crucifix and like just made that talk, like not Jesus as a person, but or like some kind yeah. of like spirit or like some kind of personification to something, but like literally <laughs> just like a statue of like Jesus on a crucifix and be like, I'm going to do scenes as this crucifix dude. Like, it's yeah. kind of weird. It's like he's using the Tao Buddha, like the Tao restaurant Buddha, mm. and like just <laughs> making that talk. And it just like, it always just like weirds me out because like, I was walking to pick up food and I walked past this like very bougie looking interior design store in Pasadena. And like in the window was just this gigantic Buddha, 
like on this like mantelpiece like it and it was like clear very clearly like just meant for like like this is a decor store and i'm just like why people are so fucking weird man about this <laughs> it's like why are you gonna have a random boot like when you go to a spa there's just like a random buddha fountain you're like this is weird like i went to a japanese like onsen place in like mm-hmm. new mexico and they gave us like buddha chocolates like buddha shaped chocolates like this is fucking weird that, yeah that's random like it doesn't make any sense oh. and like we're not even my family's not even that religious my mom's not even that religious but yeah. like you know like a lot of cultural things are tied into buddhism even if it's not spiritual there's just some like yeah well, cultural things in chinese yeah tied to buddhism and like a lot of asian countries so it's just like oh it's just like fucking weird like you're eating like like again if i made like if you a, got if jesus I was just like chocolates a, jesus on a crucifix chocolate you know if yeah. i got like <laughs> you know like i got a yahweh chocolate and that's the thing like in western culture like you don't even give a personification to god or like he's a burning bush you know at the most like grounded or you know like they're, they're very good about like making like religious figures like these ethereal like non-known beings but no 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 when it comes to like any non-western religion let's just make him a statue mm-hmm. <laughs> a big statue it's like kaiju buddha buddha yes like he's really yeah. big and he's like coming down i was that part was like i was like oh i don't know about this this feels off this feels know. weird i don't feel good about i don't feel <laughs> good about weird, this at all man. feels bad uh yeah. All right. I also think my for me it's also like I've come to develop I've only recently been like conscious of this but I have come to realize that um when a movie or show or anything starts with first person narration I'm on edge already. Mm. <laughs> when it show, when it starts with voiceover cuz I'm like they don't know how to write. Like they don't know how to get us into the story without just telling us what's happening. I I think this script is going to be very heavy on exposition and just saying instead of and telling instead of showing. And I do believe some parts of the script like were just telling us things yeah. um, rather than like showing or like you know giving us character because, dynamics. Yeah, which is a shame because the characters were pretty solid. I thought the the voice actors. You have good. so much great character in this. That's why I'm just like, did you just like run out of time? Were you just lazy? Like, did you not know how to? Um, but you know, I, I the two guys, the the not Rita Shao, but the two, the the writing team, two white guys who wrote this. I was like looking at their credits. I'm like, oh, it's like they wrote like Open Season and like these, mm. some other DreamWork projects, which like are not necessarily the most yeah. well lauded. And I'm like, okay, that kind of tracks. Like maybe this is not the strongest writing team, which is also insane that you're gonna get a not great writing team to try to adapt like this huge, like this huge. I'm not even talking about like cultural significance but just like like Mm -hmm. story like you have to get so much story in and it's you have to get in so much world in because again there's just so much lore and history and you know like stuff behind it and and you're gonna bring your b team so yeah i think it shows i think it shows well i mean (laughs) i I think first person narration needs to be used sparingly and very deliberately, right? Like yes. there are certain people who can do it. I think we all can agree that I think Grace Anatomy was very uh, important in that aspect. I think there are a few other ones. Uh, I think even though I didn't really watch it, uh, Desperate Housewives, there was a reason for that. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I mean, but that those were all built into the show. Like, right, but right, you can right. also tell when like they just don't know how to get no. you into the story, well, that, right? Yeah. So that's actually what I mean is 
it has to be a deliberate decision of why. And there clearly did, wasn't a reason why, because just he's, he's the lead. No, that's not enough of a reason. It's like when I read a book and the thing I hate the most is when the lead character all of a sudden is looking in the mirror because then they can describe the person. And I'm like, you could describe the person any other time. You don't need to make them look in the mirror. Um, so, yes, I, I, I have those same sort of like ticks when it comes to the things that, you know, uh, the very lazy tropes um, and devices that people fall back on because they don't know how to do writing. But Han, if that person's yeah. Asian, how, we, how would you know if they ha- didn't have almond-shaped eyes? Because almond-shaped eyes and like jet they, black hair. And they'll, they'll, they'll feel things about being Asian. You know, um, <laughs> have you ever met an Asian with almond shaped eyes? <laughs> they they looked at their Asian face. They had Asian feelings in the in in their Asian mirror. And <laughs> yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. My Asian skin, white as rice. <laughs> yeah, yes, as rice because not milk, not <laughs> or maybe China. Um. Anyway. Anyways. All right. Um. I, I. I think. Um. There's still a little bit more to talk about, but we can save that for our spoiler zone. But, um. As we wrap up our regular discussion of the Monkey King, um. Gotta ask: Is Netflix's The Monkey King good pop? It's just all right. I. I, I. I don't think it's bad, but I also just don't think it's distinct enough to say go and watch this. So it's fine. I think it's fun for the kids, you know, you if you have it's free. It's not offense. It's not necessarily offensive, even though, you know, given all my notes, I I don't think it's like a bad effort. Um, I just uh, yeah, again, I agree with Han. And I think that, you know, if you're going to it's like if you're going to come for the king, you come correct. Don't know if they came correct. Um, But it is, you know, I do like the fact that we're getting more stories from other cultures i think it is you know i understand hollywood's a capitalist society they're going to continue to trying to crack the china thing uh, i would love to see more animated movies and like movies from folklores about other cultures like i think i think they're that's just such a rich archive to mine <laughs> and like some of my favorite books growing up were like these anthology series about like you know, different cultures and their stories about like mermaids or like different cultures and their stories about like fairies and like, oh, there's just so much more stories in the world. I'd love to see it. But yeah, they're going to keep digging the China Monkey King thing until someone something hits a billion dollar franchise. So I'm sure they'll make a sequel of this because we're going to get the movie Journey to the West, you know, probably Mm -hmm. after this as a sequel. Um, And, you know, if it means more people getting money, more more actors getting work and getting a paycheck, you know, and with a fair wage from Netflix. Like, I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say this is good pop because as I was watching, I was like, huh, I would put this on for my nieces and nephews mm. to, like, kill time. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's it's a pretty solid, like, for the most part, not necessarily faithful, but faithful adjacent adaptation of, like, the Monkey King um, origin story. It hits all, like, the basic notes, like his... Um, his quest to conquer 100 demons, um, his rebelling against heaven, his stick. I was sad that the his cloud didn't make an appearance, but the stick mm, kind of yet. took the place yet. of the cloud. Um, mm-hmm. I do like the cloud. Yeah. And they um, did hit all the major notes, like the Monkey King powers, how the Rui Bong can change the shape and size, how he can create clones with his hair. Like 
all that stuff I, I was like geeking out about, uh, and especially the climax when they realized what they were going to do. I was like super excited that they were going there. I think also maybe like you know I think it's I think it's good. You know it's 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 fine. It's fun. It's not for me, and I'm just wondering if like I just need to reframe my own perspective because I am a fan of animated movies, and I grew up with like the Disney of it all, and um, you know the Pixar of it all. Maybe like we, I just need to remember that animated movies are at least in Hollywood geared towards children, and if like kids love this, like it's a success. But the thing um, is, and, like, like maybe it's not for adults <laughs> necessarily. I mean- Cynical adults with no children. <laughs> I mean, but the thing is, if they had just like done a little bit more with the story, done a little bit more with the animation, done a little more with the the art direction, we would have been geeking out a hundred percent over this, right? Because it had the potential to be really great. Yeah, and, and, and it, more money though. Yeah, it would be interesting to put this on for like my nieces and then to figure out what is the thing that's going to stick with them. Is it the song? Is it the weird characters? Um, Because those were the most colorful and memorable parts for me. Um, And, you know, if there is indeed a sequel, because that's what they're teeing it up for, um, because there is a journey still to be had, um, they can, they can fix it. They can improve it. Uh, So, yeah. I guess we'll see. All right. Um, And with that, that'll do it for our regular discussion of The Monkey King, now streaming on Netflix. Um, Before we go, Jess Han, where can we find you guys on the internet? I don't fucking know. (laughs) I still don't know. I'm On this podcast. Yeah. I'm still anonymous at all these sort of major places. Uh, So whether I'm active or not is a different story. If there's an earthquake, you will see me post one word earthquake earthquake um, <laughs> uh so i got that but um other than that yeah uh I, I i will try to be more engaging um on my social media all right how la of you no promises on my end but you can find me on instagram and twitter at mervin you can find our show at goodpop.club we are a proud member of the potluck podcast collective uh check out our fellow asian american hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com And yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Um, Stick around for our Monkey King Spoiler Zone. And we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Robin. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics. The weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Robin Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Maracas to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Luniang. You might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fun.
All right. Um, this will be a relatively short spoiler zone because I don't think we have that much to go over um, for the Monkey King. But yeah, for the next few minutes, we're talking about the, um, I guess, stuff about the climax, which to be fair. This is like a thousand-year-old like legend. <laughs> I like, mean, so is Orpheus, and all these bitches are still like, "You spoil like you." He turns back like you have to know this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I was wondering what you guys all thought about the climax because I was actually like that part really I was geeking out because I didn't I spent the whole entire movie scene are they not going to do the hand scene are they not going to do the buddha's hand scene and then for that to be like the climax of the film i thought was really well done yeah i mean that's that's like that's the kind of amazing thing like they turn the main character hero protagonist into like the bad guy in the end of his because of his own like ego and like uh you know internal like psychological character stuff which is like really cool and then they punish him appropriately for it but like it's just so weird because that doesn't happen to our quote-unquote hero yeah yeah so fucking chinese right right the (laughs) the sort of weird gray area where uh the monkey sort of falls into made me interested again but also then it would like almost abruptly ended so i was kind of like wait uh so yeah not having known the the story i was like okay where's this going so I was like, you know, I kind of guessed, but it was kind of like, is that where it's going? And for it them to interpret it on the screen so that we could see it, I was like, okay, cool. I see now why maybe they made Buddha big, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I mean, the Monkey King is like the original mm-hmm. anti-hero. Even yeah. in the Journey to the West, he's like scheming to escape the entire time. That's why he has like, I don't know if you know his um his iconic like headband. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's basically just like restraining, like he's he's the reluctant, like he has to be on this journey, like not by choice, like he's assigned basically to help this like pilgrim group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. it's still part of his public yeah. punishment. It's just to, like, so interesting that you know yeah. a culture that at least now is known for like you know is is kind of like portrayed negatively in the way they're like oh they're like like Chinese people or generally Asians in general in America are like stereotyped as being like obedient subservient like you know uh, you know you must think of your think of the greater good instead of yourself and it's like oh like our most beloved hero is this like shit piece of shit he's honestly a piece of shit um like like he pees on random things like that's one of his like things he like loves to piss on random things so um like in defiance of like you know god and buddha and what's like appropriate like he's supposed to be this very irreverent character um so and and they actually i feel like they actually toned it down in this one um i thought but i was very pleasantly surprised that they kept it in during the hand scene because the original like that's the legend is he was he made a wager with buddha that he can like jump out of buddha's hand and so he jumped across mountains and deserts and skies and lands on this mountain pass and decides to pee on it to like mark his territory. But it turns out to be Buddha's finger. That's the original legend. Yes. It's like, is this our king? Yes, this is our king. We fucking love this guy. Um, and, you know, like monkeys, one of the years of the Zodiac. I'm a monkey. Like, you know, oh, are you? Was <laughs> compared to this this thing very often in my youth. <laughs> Because it's like monkey children, like monkey people, like are very like, like we can't stay still. My mom's a monkey. Like, that's a stereotype. Yeah. yeah so I'm just like, <laughs> but we're very so, smart. <laughs> so we all know, and by we, I mean me and Jess <laughs> know that the Monkey King's name is Sun Wukong. Yes. 
who is, which is also named Son Goku from Dragon yes. Ball. Um, but I did like, so I did switch to the Mandarin mm-hmm. voice track because I liked doing doing this for like the Chinese animations on Netflix. And I do love that um, when the Monkey King is going around slaying the the demons, and for his theme song, his name is Mei Ho Wong, which was the name he gave himself during his like rebellion phase, which means the beautiful Monkey King. That's cute. Big Taurus energy, big love for themselves, mm. you know? We love that. <laughs> love that for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is pretty, like, it's pretty ballsy to end the movie like that. Um, I thought that was cool. And, yeah, we'll see if they make us two, and then we'll get the official journey to the West. Yeah. I was waiting for, like, some big reveal for the Lin character, and they gave us nothing. Well, that was also why she just went on to do great things that will never. Yeah, know that's about. why when it was really funny to me when it's like he got shut away into the mountain and then they're like five hundred years later I'm like oh Lynn's dead. Uh, <laughs> you don't even get the <laughs> credits like this is what happened with her afterwards sort of thing like she got married or whatever or she opened up a business just you know that type of thing but nope forget about Lynn. That's how unimportant she was to the writing she, and she well <laughs> she also just she she doesn't have any internal. Yeah, like, they did. They didn't set it up for character. her character. Yeah, she has no internal motivation, which is also like very like indicative of when you write female characters. By the way, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like she is there for a express goal to help other people, mm-hmm. her yeah. her family, her village. Right? Like she herself doesn't have any kind of like things to very much things to work through, um, and it's like, it's like. And, and like there could, I feel like I also just see the potential, or I kind of see what they're trying to do, like this, like selfish versus selfless, you know, like person, like or the selfishness of the Monkey King in contrast to like her selflessness. But like they didn't really get like do that much with that dynamic internally that made it interesting. Because I do think Monkey King is such an internally interesting character, right? Like he has a lot going on, yeah, psychologically, or at least you can see the roots of that. Um, about why he wants things and his sense of like wanting to belong and his like anger of like being, you know, like laughed at and, you know, like, and that's interesting. And then you have like this, like, oh, I must help people because everyone is dying. Okay. So I'm going to help you. Okay. (laughs) It's like, that's all you get from her. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just interesting because like the central arc of the Monkey King story didn't really need that tension. I don't know. The, the, the betrayal needed to have more sting. Yeah. Right? She, I mean, she that's what it was. It was like they just created her because they were like, we need a human person, but they didn't know what to do with her. So, yeah. It, they Of course, they didn't develop anything, mm-hmm. including the betrayal. Mm. Next time. Right. Oh, wait, we yeah. can't. She's dead. <laughs> so, maybe, you know, she does know the secret to immortal life, so she could still be alive in 500 years. Chinese mythology is full of people who like are well, immortal. Did she so. go to try to find the peach herself? Did she go and see these? Ones? I mean, she yeah. has the map. So, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that'll do it for the Monkey King spoiler zone. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time on Good Pop. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.